to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers that are out in the audience. This morning, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Rios Colazo, who has a passion for Christian apologetics. And today, it's going to be exciting getting to talk to him a little bit about some of his journey and particularly some of the evidence for faith in Jesus and some of the apologetical arguments that stick out to him as compelling. If you're a new listener, you can go to godsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com. Check out some of our past interviews with some of the biggest Christian apologists in the world. Well, let's get right to the interview this morning. Again, we're talking with Dr. Rios Colazo. Dr. Rios Colazo, welcome to the God Solution Show. Well, thank you, Nate. Thank you for having me on your show. And uh, I work for a living, so I'd rather be uh, uh, called Carlos. That's the way my mom calls me, so uh, that makes me more comfortable. (laughs) Hey, Carlos, that's great. Well, Carlos, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, Nate, I think you said it all during the introduction, but uh, when it comes to uh, my personal life, I'm uh, originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, that's what I lived for most of my life. Uh, that's why I obtained my uh, uh, undergraduate degree um, from the uh, University of Puerto Rico. And then shortly thereafter, uh, God led me to an adventure for the past 17 years in federal law enforcement. Um, during that process, I had the opportunity to serve in the uh, United States Secret Service for over 15 years. And today, God has led me to um, other fields within law enforcement and also allow me the, uh, the opportunity to teach at the graduate level uh, in a uh, private college in New York City. That's exciting. Now, how did you come to faith in Jesus? That's kind of an interesting story that, that I really connected with. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's, uh, that's another topic of its own. Um, my, my, uh, I, I always say that Jesus found me. Uh, we never find Jesus because uh, Jesus never uh, been lost. It was me who was lost in this case. Uh, but that was during my uh, early years in the uh, in the uh, United States Secret Service. I'm talking more specifically uh, on weekend, the first weekend of October of 2000. It was a time in my personal life where, even though I achieved all the professional. Uh, uh, goals that I had at the time, I, I felt very lonely. And throughout the process of God sending me a good friend, a Christian friend who was constantly uh, sharing the gospel with me, uh, one day I accepted um, an invitation to join him and his church in a weekend and a spiritual retreat. And that's where I found Jesus. Uh, it, the message was very compelling. Uh, the idea of someone who knew me before I ever knew him to lay down his life for me so I didn't have to die. That, I, I took it from the law enforcement perspective, which is, you know, you go out with your partner, you're involved in a life and death situation, and then your partner decides to take the bullet for you. Well, you will always be in debt to him and his family, and you will always want to make sure that you live a life that is worth um, you know, the sacrifice. Well, that's the way the message of uh, Jesus Christ resonated in my heart. Um, we have, we're talking about someone, again, my creator, who 
lay down his life for me without having to do so, so I could live forever. And the least I could do with the rest of my natural life is to at least do my best to meet the uh, the behavioral standards that he set out for us throughout the, uh, you know, his uh, life, throughout his preaching and his uh, living example. And so today you're living for him and making a difference for him. So how did you... Absolutely. How did you develop an interest in Christian apologetics? It was like Christian apologetics, it's something I even didn't know about. Um, when I began my Christian walk, uh, one of the things that I uh, suffered in the process was that the uh, theological foundation or the apologetics foundation of my original church was not uh, profound. Uh, but then during the process, when I was going through law school, God led me to... Uh, uh, develop an interest into uh, theology. So once I finished my uh, Jewish doctorate, uh, I went to seminary. I went to Liberty University, where I obtained my master's in theology. And during the process of, uh, of pursuing the master's, uh, I took one class. It was apologetics, introduction to apologetics. And that's when I realized why God led me to go to law school. He never intended me to go and, uh, and litigate cases in court or anything like that. He wanted me to, de- to develop the lowering skills that will allow me to then uh, explain in a logical and reasonable manner why believing in him is more logical and it's more probable and it makes more sense than simply refusing to accept his existence. And again, when I took that class, I was a life changer. That class just allow me to understand that big plan that God has always had with me through all the process of my education and my professional life. I took that same class with Liberty in the process of my seminary degree that I did there as well. It was a great class, for sure. I always say on this show that an open mind, an honest heart, a humble disposition, and a diligent search always lead to Jesus. And I really believe that with all my heart. It's like you said— Christianity is the most logical position. I really think if somebody approaches the evidence with an open mind, with an honest heart, with a humble disposition, and they do that diligently, they're going to find that the evidence for the resurrection, for example, is irrefutable. They're going to find that the evidence for the existence of God, for example, is irrefutable. I really believe that it's exactly the way you say it, that the Christian faith is the most logical worldview. And we'll get into that some more. I know you have some arguments that you're going to share with our audience this morning that are very compelling for the existence of God and for different things like that. So before we get into those, though, I wanted to ask you, what is apologetics? Some of our listeners are familiar with the term, but why don't you go ahead and refresh our memory about apologetics? What does that word mean? Well, apologetics, let me start by, first of all, explaining that what apologetics is not. Again, apologetics is not... Uh, Christians going around the world uh, excusing themselves or, or asking for forgiveness for holding a uh, a faith that uh, perhaps might uh, uh, be uh, opposed to many uh, worldviews or actually the way that the, the world uh, wants uh, us to behave as. Uh, apologetics, again, it's 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 not uh, a an opportunity or, or, or a scheme where we're going to use our scholarship or skills or even our cleverness to force others to submit to our beliefs. In other words, 
the, 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 when we engage in apologetics, we're not looking to win the argument. All we're trying to do is simply present to the audience or the individual uh, who we're talking to uh, the logical evidence and the, that actually supports our empirical belief system, which is uh, you know, consistent and congruent with reality. In other words, we're not trying to preach or share an arbitrary or capricious belief. Um, so when we talk about apologetics and what it is, apologetics comes from the word, from the Greek word uh, apologia, which means to give reason or defense. And that is important because it's not a matter of convenience. It's not a personal desire. As a matter of fact, it's a biblical mandate. If you look at First Peter 3.15, it's very clear that the, the Word of God tells us that we need to be ready to defend our Christian belief. So that's what apologetics is. But if we break it down to, you know, layman terms and what it is and what it is not, um, it is simply uh, a the Christian duty, or at least the way I can explain it to the audience, is a Christian duty of providing to the world a rational explanation about the validity and the trustworthiness of our Christian faith. In other words, it's not that we believe that Christianity, it's the, the, the way. It is that the evidence that God has shared with us supports that belief. This past year, I was talking with an atheistic professor who was picking all the obscure passages in the Old Testament that really don't jive with modern American thinking and saying, how could you believe in a Bible that condones stoning adulterers and things like that? And I told him, look, I didn't become a Christian because I was looking for a religion that stoned adulterers. I am a Christian because the evidence says that I can trust what I read in the Bible. So I'm not just coming to faith in Jesus because I found something that fit my personal preferences. I'm believing in Jesus Christ because the evidence says that this is true. It's exactly what you're saying. What is true about reality? So why... Is apologetics so important? Well, apologetics is important because what it does, it helps you. Let, let's start from from the individual himself, from from the uh, what we call in law the proponent. It helps you assure, okay. It helps you make you know understandable one that what you believe is not simply an arbitrary or a capricious way of how to do business or systematic philosophy, but instead. That is a worldview that fits with reality as is. It is funny that you, what you mentioned in terms of the uh, preference that this uh, atheist professor was bringing up, and actually uh, Norman Geiser and Frank Turk in their book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, on page 32, they point out a fatal habit that human beings always fall for, which is, the tendency to adjust truth, which is reality as is, to our desires, instead of adjusting our desires to fit the truth that we're confronted with. And that's what the problem is. If we decide to reconcile reality according to our preferences, then that leads to the possibility of considering uh, you know, uh, relative truths and, and relativism and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're lying to yourself. That's not reality. The question is, 
It's your perception of reality, something that you can live out. So that's what apologetics does. Apologetics allows you to create a systematic argument, okay, that allows you to explain to the world the logical and reasonable uh, uh, evidence that supports the way you view the world according to the Word of God and whether or not that view could be lived out. And it does. It does. The problem that we have with atheists is that they will never accept uh, either the evidence because of certain you know, uh, personal preferences or simply we will never meet the threshold. But the question is, what threshold are we trying to meet? How, how much evidence do you need for you to believe? What, do you, what will make you understand that this is what it is versus what you're proposing? We never get those things. All we have is simply uh, misconstructions of, of reality or misconstructions of the Christian argument to, again, trying to fit okay, that preference of the truth as opposed to you know, having the truth mean you know, what reality really is. So which apologists have had the greatest impact on your life? In my case, again, it's Frank Turek, you know, uh, Cliff Nichley, and William, obviously, uh, William Craig Lane. I mean, those three are the, the, the top uh, apologists in my, for my preference, what I, what really resonate, their argument resonate with my way of, of being able to project to my peers and, 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 and the people I can reach out uh, the, the world of God in a way that could be, you know, again, logical and reasonable. But by the same token, we have, you know, uh, Lennox, we got Norman Geisler, we got Gary Habermas also, uh, who was one of my professors in, uh, in Liberty. So um, I would say those six are the, uh, the, the models of apologetics that I try to one day um, follow and, and make their, their, uh, their contribution to the apologetics world. If you're wondering about those apologists, we've interviewed Turek, Geisler, and Habermas on the God Solution Show. You can go to godsolutionshow.com, look at past shows, and check out some of those interviews if you get a chance. All right, Carlos, talking about some issues, how do you think we should approach this issue of apologetics? Well, again, the, we're not looking to win the uh, debate. That's what perhaps other people uh, might try to do when they're engaged in some sort of theological or apologetic uh, conversation. That's not what we do. So what we want to do is obviously approach the subject with humility. We're not here to prove anything. God doesn't need me to defend him, okay, let, let alone I need to prove anything. We don't have to prove anything. Um, all we're trying to accomplish here is, you know, being able to explain with the evidence as it is, you know, that is available to us, what data that we've gathered so far can logically organize the worldviews that we're trying to project to the world. That's it. That's all we're trying to do. Um, but obviously, just like uh, Dr. Turret uh, has shown to us in the process, um, we, we need to approach this subject by, number one, having some basic uh, agreements, and that's called uh, presuppositions. We need to understand, number one, that, for example, uh, science doesn't say anything. Scientists do, and that's what Tarek always uh, shares in his uh, presentations. Uh, and, but you always will hear atheists always trying to, you know, uh, embolder arguments 
by saying, well, science says this, or data says that. That's not true. Data doesn't say anything. Researchers do, okay? Um, when we're talking about the fact that science cannot prove everything, and we're talking about natural science, okay? Natural science cannot prove any, everything. For example, natural science cannot prove the logic of mathematics. Natural science cannot prove science itself. It presupposes that the system of natural sciences is a workable system. So those are the kind of things that we need to bring on to the conversation when we engage uh, other people in an apologetics debate. And Christians aren't opposed to science. My undergraduate degree was in science, and I love science, and Christians use science all the time, and even in the defense of the Christian faith. For example, one of my favorite evidences for the existence of God is the fact that the universe began to exist a finite time ago, and it began to exist coming out of nothing. That's the cosmological argument in philosophical terms, but we see scientific verification of that argument. So we're not against science. In fact, we believe where the science leads. But like you said, science isn't the determiner of truth. It's just a way of looking at and understanding the world around us. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can go to godsolutionshow.com to see some of the stations that we're on. And to get past shows, we're interviewing Dr. Rios Colazo. Carlos has been talking so far about Christian apologetics, and we're going to get in a little deeper in a few specific arguments. I just mentioned the cosmological argument for God's existence. Carlos, you want to take a stab at that? So when we're talking about the cosmological argument for God's existence, what we're talking about is the creation of the universe, if the universe was created. So what we need to do is we're going to use the rules of logic, okay, but again, natural science, do not prove, but they, they presuppose their application and consistent operability, okay? And we put it like this. Everything that we see that comes to existence requires a cause. Then, if the universe had a beginning, the universe has to have a cause. We already know that everything that comes to existence requires a cause. We know through different scientific studies, research, and evidence, we know that the universe had a beginning. In other words, the universe had to come into existence. Therefore, the universe has to have a cause. That's what the cosmological argument in a very uh, simple fashion argues. In this case, we need to make sure that whatever uncaused cause uh, we choose to attribute the creation of the universe is a timeless, baseless, immaterial, and personal, intelligent being. The universe began to exist, and so we know it had a cause greater than itself. All right, now what about the moral argument for God's existence? This one is particularly interesting. C.S. Lewis came to faith in Jesus Christ through this argument. Francis Collins, who led the Human Genome Project, came to faith in Christ through this argument. Could you briefly tell me what the moral argument for God's existence is? Well, the more, the more argument, again, talks about and deals with truth. Okay, the more argument what we talk about here is number one. We know that we every human being has an innate sense of moral obligation. Okay, and what do we what do we mean by that? Okay, we we know that it's always moral to give up, for example, to the poor people. Okay, that doesn't come out of out of you know, from a vacuum. We we know that it's an innate 
sense that every human being has. It's called an innate sense of moral obligation, and uh, that brings up moral laws. Well, the question is, if we have moral laws, that requires a moral lawgiver. But if we keep it as a relative term, in other words, what's moral for you doesn't need to be necessarily more moral for me, then who's right and who's wrong? And that's one of the big arguments of, for example, the Allied forces back in World War II had against the Nazis, okay? It's not a democratic way of doing business, okay? It's who will settle the difference between your moral views and my moral views, okay? That requires a higher standard. It's called an absolute standard that is above human intellect, is above human perceptions and human uh, desires and, and preferences of what, uh, what an outcome should be, okay, that determines what's right and what's wrong. That's what we're talking about, the moral argument. I think Craig's statement of the moral argument is really compelling. He says, if God does not exist, objective moral values don't exist. Objective exactly. moral values do exist, therefore God exists. When we realize that certain things are always wrong and certain things are always right, we have to admit there is a standard outside ourselves by which we measure right and wrong, and that standard is the one who determines what's right and wrong, God himself. All right, now the atheists, what always gets me is they never provide any evidence for their atheism, so their arguments are all the lack of evidence on the Christian side, supposed lack of evidence, because we have tons of evidence and tons of arguments in science and history and logic and philosophy and you name it. So, ultimately, why do people resist God? What I've seen so far, and what most apologists will tell you, the, they resist the, the, the reality of God's uh, existence because of emotional basis. Uh, either they're angry at God, or perhaps they're upset at some sort of life event that they're unable to understand why it occurred, or why would a God, again, I'm using their language, what would a God who's supposed to be all-loving and merciful and graceful allow them to suffer certain things? Or simply, again, we're going to personal behaviors. They're, they're selfish. Their personal pride do not allow them to see the evidence for what it is, but instead they try to fit it according to their preferences. Or simply, they're suffering what I call, from what I call a spiritual coma, you know, and or the boiling frog syndrome, which is, well, I'm doing fine, everything is great, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and they don't realize that there's other things for them to be concerned about than simply the reality that they're enjoying today. And we're talking about the afterlife, that the decisions that you're making today will definitely have a repercussion for, you know, in eternity. And they don't seem to, to, to uh, realize that. Or you know, another uh, issue that I normally see as well is that they're simply afraid of not being in control. Christianity, okay, demands, or the Christian faith expects you to be willing to let go so your creator could be in control and show you exactly what needs to be done. And then you uh, perhaps go ahead and, uh, uh, and walk that walk. But... People don't do that. People are not willing to do that. So again, to summarize your, your the, the answer, we're talking about emotional basis or simply uh, personal preferences. But none of them are, are based on factual evidence. Again, atheists cannot, so far haven't seen an atheist 
who's been able to provide a threshold of the amount of evidence that will be required for him or her to then say, you know what? Yes, there is a God. And perhaps I should try to know who that God is. I was arguing with a professor once, and he was trying to say that you need all this evidence for God, and we just don't have it. And I said, it's a lot easier to prove something than disprove something. In fact, all I need to know that God exists is his experience in my life or my experience of him or a philosophical argument that is strong or a piece of scientific evidence that is compelling. I don't need a lot of evidence to prove God's existence or to know God's existence. However, I told him to disprove God's existence, I would have to know everything in the world and show you that in all the world and all the information present in the world and the universe, there is no God. So I said, as a Christian, my job is a lot easier than it is for the atheist. And I think that's really the case. Carlos, would you please summarize what we've talked about today and kind of uh, tell our audience any last thoughts that you have? Absolutely. And again, thank you, Nate, for uh, having me on your show. And again, we're, we're dealing with very uh, deep and, and, and important topics. Apologetics, it's, 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 a, it's a biblical mandate that every Christian must comply with. Uh, you need to be able to provide to the world a rational and logical explanation as to why the Christian faith, okay, it's logical, it's reasonable, and fits reality better than any other theological persuasions out there. That's number one. Number two, uh, when we do this, we need to be humble, but we also need to be able to realize that it is not our job to convince somebody else of what truth is. That's, the, that's the, the work that the Holy Spirit will do during the process in which all you're doing is simply showing the evidence that points out to the reasonable and logical foundation of Christianity. Okay, But again, um, you also need to realize that you don't have the power to change anybody. You don't have the power to, and again, to re uh, uh, convince anybody of a reality that he or she is not willing to accept. Um, so all we can do is simply be conduits of the information that God has shared with us through our empirical, biblical, scientific evidence and allow the other party to simply evaluate that evidence and, you know, reach their own conclusions. Thanks so much, Carlos. Thank you for the opportunity, and God bless you all. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Rios Colazo. It was a great introduction to apologetics. Next week, we're going to be hearing from Josh McDowell. I'm sure you've heard of Josh before, so definitely don't miss next week's show. But we'll be taking the show to the next level and hearing what Josh has to say. We'll specifically be talking with him about his latest book. It'll be a great show. I hope you don't miss it. Well, like I always say... All this evidence means something. It's not just an accident that God has provided us with this evidence. In fact, he did so knowing that we would each come to a place where we could make a decision whether to receive all that he offers or to reject him. That's where I want to bring you this morning. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God loves you and desires to give you 
a life of meaning and purpose on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven. Unfortunately, the Bible says that you and I both are sinners. That means that we are imperfect and because of our sin, we cannot be in relationship with God and we can't experience all that he has for us. The Bible says that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him will be forgiven and adopted into his family and given that life of meaning and abundance here on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven. If you're ready to take that step today, you can verbalize that through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins. I also believe that you rose again to give me new life. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior and my Lord. The Bible says that if you put your faith and trust in him this morning, that you've been adopted into his family. I hope that you took that step today if you hadn't already. And if you do know Jesus, share this evidence with those around you, because this really is the greatest news imaginable. Go to GodSolutionShow.com to get a copy of this interview and to see more about the show and to check out a list of local churches and even to contact us. There's a contact form there. Anyway, go to GodSolutionShow.com when you get a chance. Let us know what you think about the show. It's been fun. It's going to be great talking with Josh McDowell next week. I hope you don't miss that. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Again, happy Father's Day. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful afternoon.